Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yotis B, welcome to The Sportive. Uh, I've got John here. Hi, John. Brandon, it's good to hear from you. John, let's just get into it. It's panic time. Yes, it's 100% panic time. It's the Super Bowl of baseball is taking place this taking place this weekend here in Minneapolis. And at every moment, Twins fans are ready to take the pitchforks out of the cars, get the torches lit, just march. So we're at extra panic level right now because we are recording this on Thursday night, game one of the series with the Indians. The Indians are currently leading four to two. So you, future person listening to this, you may giggle at us because things turned around, but I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. That's I that's it doesn't feel like it's gonna happen. No, the it's twins, over. They just finished they just finished a series with Atlanta in which they gave up fourteen runs in every game they played. Um it did have an amazing walk off from Sano, but that was about the only, near as I can remember. That's the only good thing that's happened this season. It's just it, people keep stopping, especially on Twitter, and just telling you, "Man, you just gotta—they're winning. You just gotta enjoy the season. Just feel the vibe, man." And it's like it's erasing itself behind this season is just erasing itself as it goes. I can't remember anything that happened more than two days ago because I opened the paper in the morning and I see Cleveland creeping a game closer every day, and it just. It burns my soul. Yeah, I really stung when Aaron Gleeman a couple months ago would do one of his tweets when it was essentially like, hey, all the Twins have to do is play 500 ball for the rest of the year and they'll win 97 games, which means right. Cleveland has to pay, play at 119 win pace. And then like a month later he went, yeah, they just did that. It's yep. now That's what happened. That's, That's exactly what... What I said would have to happen for this race to get back together. Mm-hmm. It actually was worse than that, and now we're right in the thick of things again. Yeah, we thought this would happen in, I don't know, I guess I was a, I was planning on like a mid-September swoon. You well, know, so at least yeah. we'd have another month of hope. I was right. expecting us to be up like seven games right now. Yeah, the the swoon you were planning on, the disastrous thing that was going to happen was going to happen much later in the season. And not all at once either. It was going to be like a slow burn. Yeah. Not yeah. just one week the Twins had a 12-game lead, and then you looked up the next week, and the Twins had somehow won three out of seven games, but Cleveland had made up nine that week. Yeah. They played doubleheaders every day against the Tigers. <laughs> and they in one week, they set a major league record by winning 27 baseball games. It's, you know, it'd be impressive if it weren't so infuriating. Right. Yeah, it's... It's over and it's all bad. And uh, you know who sucks is uh, Marty Perez. <laughs> yeah, that's he's bad at pitching. He's the amazing. There were a lot of stats the other day. The Twins turned a triple play with Martin Perez on the mound for the second time this year, which is impressive. And they hadn't turned a triple play at Target Field. Now they have two in two weeks or something like that. But. The the unspoken part of that is in order to turn triple plays, and both of them were five four three triple plays, 
in order for that to happen, you have to have runners on base an awful lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You have With to have runs. at least guys on first and second with nobody out, which is a situation that you don't really ever want to happen. And yet Martin Perez has found himself in it so often that almost by the laws of probability, the Twins yeah. turn two triple plays. When you yeah. look at how he's pitched, you're actually not that surprised by it. Yeah, and it's such a weird thing, too, because it's a it's a great baseball play. It's super rare, but I think every fan knows that it was pure luck that it happened. Right. Like it has to be hit in the perfect spot, and it has at the to perfect be... perfect speed. At, yeah, in a situation when you it's just disaster looming. The so guy it happened, the it's like, oh, has to be weird. about the same speed as me. True. Yep. There's a lot that has to go right. Yeah. And did the Twins lose both of those games? I think they might have lost both of those games. I think yes. I think yes. We're not going to look that up, but I'm pretty sure they lost both of them. Um, So Perez is terrible now. and Odorizzi's terrible now. Barrios is terrible terrible now. now. (laughs) Barrios had one bad start and... The rest of the pitching staff has been terrible for three months, but Barrios had one bad start, and the whole town was just ready to burn him. Well, we were all ready for it, right, because he always breaks down late in the year? Right. Or so we think. Sport effect. It's a statewide so sport So we assume, effect. based yeah. on one year, two years, we're ready to call this a trend. Yeah, that's plenty for me. It's panic yep, time, baby. Enough. I don't need to look at long-term trends. I just know that somewhere inside me, my body is telling me, it's time right. to flip out. It's you better need than to a fact. Freak out. It's a gut feeling. Gut feeling. Yeah. The original sport effect. <laughs> the original. The sport effect <laughs> we feel all deep inside us. <sighs> well, John, it's not. It's been good. a good run. It's been nice knowing you. It's a thing about like enjoy that it was more competitive than we thought it'd be this year. That's that does make a lot of sense logically. But I'm sure I, I've, I'm sure I've said this now 15 podcasts in a row, but it does sort of feel like this. What we're seeing right now is the twins team that we all expected. If you go back and you look at our prediction of the number of twins wins and extrapolated the last month and a half out over the season, we'd all be pretty close with our predictions. This is what we expected. We just didn't expect them to have two amazing months, thus putting them into a position to crush our souls. I don't like the emotions. It's too emotional for me. No. And a lot of people are saying every time they lose a close game or blow a ninth inning lead or Sam Dyson has comes into a, any sort of baseball game, everyone says, calm down. It's just one game. No, that's not how this works. That's mm-hmm. not how fandom works. I can't calm down from inning to inning, much less on a nine inning game by game basis. Seems like a really boring way to watch sports, too. Right. Like, you're taking the high road. We're watching sports. There is no high road here. I will say another another factor. This is a tangent. But another thing that I feel like is a soul-crushing way to watch sports is to have too much information about guys' contract status. Here's mm-hmm. what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a certain amount of salary cap knowledge and contract knowledge that's almost required to be a fan in this day and age just to understand that there are boundaries and there are limits to what a team can do. 
I'm not sure that was true 30, 40 years ago. And obviously, there weren't salary caps to the level that there are now. Back then, it was just sort of like you could stand and you could talk to somebody about about baseball or football or whatever and say they need to get some better players, and you can both sort of just not agree. There's some level of literacy when it comes to the finances of the game that I think is almost required now if you're a serious fan. Let's take as an example something we're going to talk about in a little bit. As, as a fan of the Wild, you can't just go around and say, well, what they need to do is they need to trade, trade Parisi and they need to trade Suter for whatever they can get because the truth is they can't do that. They have clauses in their contracts that keeps them from being traded. Right. And they can't go out and sign Mondo free agents or whatever this year's flavor of the uh, flavor of the year is because they can't fit them under the salary cap. Some knowledge of that is important. Yeah. But I feel like this is this is a roundabout way of getting to my point, which is the three where I live. But the the point that I'm trying to make is there is a bad way of doing that. When you get too much knowledge and you start getting excited about players or liking or disliking players more because of their contract status. If you if you look at the Twins and say, well, the good thing about Mitch Garver is that he's under team control for six more years or whatever. I, I don't know the facts on Mitch Garver. Or no, that's exactly if right. If you're excited about him getting paid less than he should be worth, then you've gone too far. That's one step too far. On the John Marthaler line, that's that's the line. Yeah, the that's too far line. That's the step too far when you're rejoicing because somebody is Underpaid. more valuable than they're getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's amazing. He hardly gets paid anything at all. Yeah. This is what a great deal for someone who isn't me. It's awesome. We're really taking advantage of this poor guy. It's right. hilarious to me as a fan. And it's it's hard to draw that dis- it's hard to draw a distinction between those things. Yeah. So much so that I'm not sure any of this made sense, but uh, there's not if you've listened to the sport of this long, then you're you're just sort of okay with me me not making sense. So I'd say it probably it, makes as much sense as anything you say. That's <laughs> wow, that was the most backhanded, <laughs> unexpected burn of all time on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Rarely That's have you said something that was <laughs> something that was so friendly and yet made me question yeah. my question yeah. everything I've ever said on the podcast so deeply. It was rambling, inscrutable, and expected. Right, right. <laughs> the John <That's> exactly <laughs> the, the John Marthaler story. The Marthaler trifecta was just hit. Uh, right. No, you're right. I think it's probably a different line for everybody, which is why sometimes this gets confusing. Because I do think um, one thing I I love, like Italian chef kiss, love is adorable to me. Is uh, when people was when like casual fans propose trades. You oh, know? it's. It's delightful. I mean, how about Jake Cave and Cole Stewart for Kershaw? Right. For Bumgarner. Who says no? For whoever. Like, that is adorable to me, and I never want to lose that. But when people... I mean, that was a big reason fans hated Joe Maurer, right? Because of his contract? Right. It's a little weird. Maybe there's sometimes... There's shades of gray. It was just... It was strange because it was in a non-salary cap sport. It was... People just accepting as fact of, oh, the Twins don't have any money to spend and therefore criticizing Maurer for not realizing the same thing, not realizing that the Twins only had so much money to spend and greedily taking that money for himself, Mm -hmm. which is not none of that is true. 
The Twins had plenty of money to spend. They could have given Joe Maurer twice as much money and still had plenty of money to spend on other players. They just didn't. And taking, I cannot understand, and I don't think I'll ever be able to understand, anyone who looks at that situation and comes down on the side of the immensely rich owners instead of the guys whose career could be over tomorrow. Yep. I don't understand that. Love to side with management. That's the cool way to do it. Yeah, on paper, if you were to have a side-by-side of Joe Maurer and, like, Kent Herbeck, like, two hometown boys, um, you would think that the fans would love Maurer and right. way more than Herbeck, but untrue. He's just because he's boring. Is that it? Is that the only... Yeah, I, I, I've never quite under... I've never quite been able to figure out the whole the whole story of the vitriol that was directed at Maurer. Yeah. Because he was just, he was, ultimately the ultimately the problem seemed to be that he was too perfect somehow. But if you were going to design it, if you said, what are all the things that Minnesotans value? They value humility. They value not calling attention to yourself. They value parochialism. They value being from here. They value you treating your family well and you being a good person, politeness, not getting into trouble. All of these things. Maurer ticked every one of those boxes. And for some reason, people still chose to hate him. And I don't, I'm not sure I'll ever understand that. On paper, golden boy. Not to put it, I don't don't want to drag this into everything, but he was even a white guy. A white guy. A tall white guy. Right. Not ethnic looking at all. Good looking, no married, married a girl he knew from high school. He literally had, if, if you were designing it, he literally had everything we wanted. And I just, I can't understand what made people so angry about that. And most importantly, he was a free agent, but he chose us. He chose right. to stay. He chose to stay. He always stayed. That's he retired all, here. It's the number one thing we care about. Validate us. He did everything right, and it still didn't work. On I just don't get it. Yep, it's either he was too boring because fans like when other guys show emotions. If he had done a bunch of fist pumps and uh, smashed a bat, uh, broke a bat over his knee, people would like that. And and then the money thing a little bit, I suppose, but it just doesn't seem like they would have staying power for people to just like constantly right. not like him. And we also don't like when big guys don't hit dingers. He's a well, big guy. Everybody does love dingers. Should be hitting a dinger. We're mad about that. I don't know. I wish it's times like this, John, that I wish that we actually had people that listen to this so we could ask them. Right. Do you know a, a Maurer hater in your life? You ask them what their actual problem is with the golden boy uh, milk drinker, Joe Maurer, and then tell us and we can hopefully analyze it a little bit. But, you know. It's just our mom's listening, so it's not really going to do anything good. But <laughs> well, I I think I don't think my mom is listening anymore. My dad might be. Hi, dad. How you okay, doing? So your dad and my mom. So still two your viewers. Dad, we used to my have mom. Three. Maybe my brother. That's it. Wade. Wade. Yeah, that's it. And they are probably yeah. all like Joe Mauer. So I don't know if we're ever going to get to the root of it. All right. Well, if you know anybody, listeners, I almost said readers. Boy, if you see something, say something. My brain is fried. I really just hate the twins, and I'm very sad. And now it is six to two. I was uh, gonna say you got a score update for me. <laughs> yeah, it's six and, to two. 
I'm not watching the game specifically because a couple of years ago, we did a podcast during a Vikings game. They were oh playing, I think, the Arizona Cardinals. The biggest disaster and we've ever had. We've <laughs> had we've something. had some bad podcasts. <laughs> we've had some audio disasters. We've had things where you literally couldn't hear what anybody was saying. And that might have been our worst episode ever because none of us could help but commentate on what was going on in the game. And that might have been workable had we all been in the same room and watching the game at the same time. But because we were all watching it in different places and with various methods, yeah. the things were happening upwards of 11 seconds apart from each other. And we so, kept telling Stu, stop telling us what happens. And he kept just ignoring us and going, oh, my he, God, fumble. No, my shit, they fumbled. You guys, just hold on. They fumbled. And we're like, fuck me, Stu. Couldn't stop. <laughs> Chicken fingers was completely hammered and just yelling. It was the worst podcast we've ever done. It was the so worst. That's the reason. That's the reason why I'm not watching the Twins game because I would not be able to stop myself from just turning into stew. Complete. Yes. And you never want to go full stew. No, 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 no. Uh, I actually don't have the ability to watch the Twins game because I have. I'm a Sling subscriber, and all of a sudden, a couple weeks ago, they just like turned off the Twins games. Like the Twins games or the channel. FSN is gone from Sling. That's weird. It's not good. Why would you even? Why would you even have Sling if you can't watch FSN? I mean, it's can't. I'm, I'm canceling it. It's the only reason I I did it. So now I have to choose between much more expensive options. No bueno. Hulu, how, how expensive YouTube. is Sling? I think it's like twenty bucks a month. Oh, that was cheap. That, yeah, that seems like a good deal that has now gone away. Yeah, yeah, it's over. I feel like I could spend the next hour talking about streaming services and the various channels they do and don't offer, but I'm not going to do that. I'm that not going to very dad like of us. What yeah. do you do? You have cable. I have a different streams streaming service, and now you've opened the door, and now I'm going to have to talk for an hour straight in the same way that I did about uh, contract stuff and free agent stuff. So here you go. Okay. Um, the streaming service I have is called Fubo TV. It started about. I would say three or four years ago, they just started offering basically soccer only channels. And so it was sort of like you could have cable. And then if you wanted to watch the soccer channels that cost a billion dollars on cable, you could just get Fubo and watch that online. Does and the Fubo apparel come free or do you have to? No, buy that extra? Yes, that's right. It, you, they have a time machine that mm-hmm. allows them to go back to 97 yep. and buy Fubo apparel. All the Fubo. Yep. And then like yep. a stitch fix just comes to you. Every month. That's right. Cool. I, yes, cool, cool. that's correct. Okay. Fubo. But you, wearing it, Fubo. Okay. F-U-B-O. I choose to hear Fubu. Okay. Fubu. T- <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple years ago, that sort of transitioned into almost th- the same thing as Hulu or um, YouTube TV or Sling, where it offered a million channels and not just the soccer channels. But it still has all of those nonsense soccer channels and so because most of the reason that i have cable is to desperately try to keep up on soccer from around the world so that i don't make a terrible mistake in my newspaper column i stuck with that and really the only downside is that it does not have espn that's fine I mean, yeah, what are you I've, missing? I've, sunday night baseball i guess sports I've centers, gotten by. yeah i haven't watched sports center in years but yeah, I also feel like I don't know as much about sports as I used to, and I probably would be, I would enjoy knowing more. So, don't right. listen to me. 
So, mm-hmm. so there's that. I like that fine, but it it still has Fox Sports Net. So, Fox Sports North. Sorry. So how Whatever much is Fubu? Uh, I want to say it's it's more like Hulu or YouTube. It's like forty bucks a month or forty five bucks a month. All right, Shit. which I think is the exact same thing as YouTube and Hulu. So, yeah, it's in that. That's the range. Near as I can tell, if you want ESPN, you should get YouTube. If you want all of the random soccer and Spanish language channels, Fubo is the way to go. Pro tip. Okay, I'm trying to think of other baseball-related things, but not about the other Twins. Twins-related things? You want no. to talk about Sam Dyson? I don't. Uh, yeah, sure. He's bad. I, I, I have a like story him. to tell. This is this is by way of an apology to my brother Dave, who was on the podcast last week. Uh-huh. And I actually I cut out him making a pretty good joke about landing the team plane and bundling him out of the back like a CIA asset and just taking off again because he said that they should do that in Chattanooga because he forgot that the Twins double A affiliate has moved to Pensacola. Okay. And so <laughs> in in the in the interest of not having our three listeners, your mom and my dad and Wade tweet us and note that the twins no longer have a team in Chattanooga. I just cut that whole thing out. And Dave looks like a, like a seer of some kind because the twins would have been far better off had they dumped Sam Dyson out of the back of the team plane before he had a chance to ruin anything. Yeah. Not a great start, Sam. He is right now. The twins have had some bad free agent pickups slash, trade deadline pickups in the past. We we talk a lot on this podcast about the time they picked up Brett Boone and he was awful and they did the same thing with Ruben Sierra and he was awful. Just these things that go back a few years and you kind of forget ever happened but you remember them because they'll they'll always be those disastrous things that happened in the past. But right now at this very moment, Sam Dyson I think he got two outs and gave up nine runs, something like that. Blew one game all but blew another game. And then it turned out that he had been hurt for weeks, but didn't tell anybody. And if he spends the rest of the season on the DL, or maybe even if he doesn't, that is maybe the worst trade. I'm not going to say in baseball history, but it's up there. That's bad. That's real bad. Yeah. ERA of uh, 275. Right. Or so. And he's hurt. Uh, yeah, I can't think. Of, I mean, Chicken Fingers would tell you the Brandon Kinsler trade was worse, but uh, the Brandon Kinsler trade was a bad trade. Brandon sure. Kinsler is a good pitcher. The Twins got rid of for literally no reason. <laughs> yeah, you got a hundred thousand dollars back of salary cap relief. <laughs> yep, they had two ice cream cones that Theo Epstein bought him. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But this one's bad. He was like, it just felt like, okay, that's, they got Dyson and they got Romo. That's maybe not world class, whatever, but right. it's good enough. But it's that something. to me made sense to me. I don't think we're in desperation mode for like this season's the season. And it's, we're going to be de- demonstrably worse the next three seasons. So we have to go for it. it didn't feel like that sort of season. Yeah. Um, things weren't bad enough that we had to talk to the Mets seriously. Right. Exactly. But it also, I kind of feel like, that's a little bit of uh, of a of a not smart way to look at it either. Like if you haven't if you have a chance, you got to go for it, right? Um, but I'm not going to necessarily I mean, kill the guys for only getting two relievers. They did get two pretty good relievers at the time, 
But now yeah, Dyson... Yeah, they got two relievers you've heard of. Yeah, household names. In, <laughs> well. In the Martheller house. Asterisk. Yes. Martheller house. Maybe. Yeah, but remember, part of the podcast last week was us talking about uh, defensive coordinator at an SEC school that <laughs> I had never heard of, so... Yeah. So anyway, so it felt okay. High bar. It, but it just yeah, really it needed fine. to have them be uh, able to pitch decently. Right. And uh, nope. Nope. It's not happening. Romo's been fine. Yeah. Yeah. He has been. Plus, he's got that, delight for, that delightful junk baller arsenal and the positive outlook. He's like he's like a late career Pat Neshek almost. He is. Yep. My buddy. Is Pat Neshek still around? We should get him back. Yeah. Let's trade for him. Wait, we can't trade anymore. They didn't. I I, I already kind of miss when there was a trade deadline and then there was another trade deadline just if you screwed up the first one. It was yeah. nice to have the retest option. What happened? Did they close a loop on that second one? Yeah, they, they decided they the waiver trade, trade deadline was dumb and they weren't going to do it anymore. Okay. All right. All right. That's a bummer. So we're just fucked then. Yep. That's correct. Yep. It's over. It's over, and it's bad. It's time to panic. So let me ask you. Um, I'm trying to think of other baseball things that might cheer you up a little bit um, or maybe make you grumpier, depending. Uh, did you see the news that there's going to be a game at the Field of Dreams? I field? did see that, and I was I was temporarily excited about it because – I don't. have you ever been to the Field of Dreams, Brandon? God, no. I, nope. I actually have been there. Oh, wow. We, we were on the, the great baseball road trip one year was in Iowa, and we, we decided sort of on a spur of the moment one morning to go about four hours out of our way to go to Dyersville, Iowa, and go to the Field of Dreams. And the field itself, the, the point of the movie is that it's built by a farmer in his field, and you get there and you expect it somehow to be different from that, but it looks like you and I built it over the period of about five days. <laughs> it's a total crap hole. <laughs> and so I, the one thing I was excited about was, well, this is going to be awesome. This field is terrible. Yeah. I can't wait to watch major league players play on a field that would be in the bottom five worst fields that I played on in western Minnesota and eastern yeah. South Dakota when I was growing up. And that, I mean, you want to talk about low bars. That is an extremely low bar. That's 275-foot fences. Yeah, right. it would have been a real farce. <laughs> I played, I one time I played a game, and this would have been in about junior high school. It was on a field in Wheaton, Minnesota, that I think was a softball field, but we were playing junior high baseball on it, and... Wheaton being a nine-man football school, it was set up so that the diamond, and I again, I am assuming this was a softball field diamond. The diamond was sort of in one corner of the football field so that to right field, down the right field line, there were some pine trees. There wasn't anything such thing as a fence. It was just pine trees. And if you hit it over the pine trees, it was a homer. Down the right field line, I think, was maybe 175 feet. And down the left field line was about 550 feet. You, you talk a lot about guys at Fenway Park, left-handed hitters. Fenway Park ruins left-handed hitters because they're trying to reach out and poke it off the green monster. You have never seen the ugly inside-out swings taken by junior high school kids who stood on the right side of the plate and were trying to hit 
basically a pop fly to right field and hit a homer. But for those of us who hit left-handed, it was a dream come true, let me tell mm-hmm. you. Man. Mm-hmm. And that is what you get in Dyersville, Iowa. That kind of thing. So I was excited about it until today. I saw that the plan is to, like, build an actual stadium kind of next door yeah. to the to the field. Yep. And then it's like, I don't care anymore. I know. It just went from I could not be more excited for this to I couldn't care any less about this. I've gone beyond uh, not being able to care less. I would, I would love to not be able to care less about it. I am going to be actively annoyed for months over the right. old man sports writer uh, six to midnight activity when they hear anything involving Field of Dreams. Right. And just Do you weeping. like the movie Field of Dreams? No. You don't, don't like it at all? I mean, it's been many years since I saw it. And I will say I was probably at my most cynical when I did see it. Maybe it maybe it softens on you over time, but it just seemed so ridiculous and like weepy over the top, schmaltzy. Ugh. I think it is all of those things. I think that's the point of it. Well, I don't like that stuff. It doesn't so, come any schmaltzier than Field of Dreams. Yeah, right. And it always just felt weird too. Like, you know, baseball at that time was probably not as glamorous and and uh, let's say innocent and pure as they're trying to make it seem. So it feels like a fantasy of a time that actually never really existed. Um <laughs> But again, that's me just being a heartless robot. So right. I get it, but I also... I mean, it has touched many people, uh, touched a nerve in a good way. But um, yeah, it just wasn't... Not my thing. And I just... <laughs> I uh, will it's say... It's so overwrought. God, I, the, I hate the myself fu- for saying this shit, by the way. I just... I hate myself. <laughs> the one truly hilarious thing about going to the Field of Dreams was that... There were a number of dads who had their kids there. Their kids would have been four or five. And they were trying to have sort of a moment, like a big time moment. Like, I'm going to pitch to you and you're going to hit the ball at Field of Dreams. And yeah. Let's have a catch. It's gonna, this is going to be an amazing father-son moment. Uh-huh. And these kids <laughs> did not want to be there any less. Yeah. They just couldn't care at all. Couldn't hit the ball. We're just crying like, Dad, I don't want to do this. You know I can't hit the ball. Why are we here? Can we go back we're to the in, skateboard park? We're in a field in Iowa. <laughs> we're, this is near nothing. Why did we come here? Why did you make me come here to have an experience that we could have fought over in the backyard so that was it was both sad and hilarious at the same time yeah i mean we're dads we know there's nothing there's nothing worse than trying to force a moment and uh that just seems like that's the entire point of it forcing moments so anyway i i'm not i i'm no longer excited about the game at the field of dreams i was briefly excited now i'm not yeah i agree Okay, is that enough distraction from baseball? Have we? <laughs> that is enough. I've, I've had enough. Is it like? Is it twelve to two now? Fourteen to two? What's it's still on? six to two. So it's it's bad, John. It's very bad. It's bad. It's bad, but not as bad as it was in my mind. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, let's talk about something else. Thank goodness. Can we talk about the Minnesota Wild? We can try. 
We can I, try. I, I, I'm, would, uh, I really I'm, wish uh, Chicken was here. I yep. wish Chicken was here to give us his take on the GM search because he has far stronger opinions about who they should and should not hire. Right. And he, uh, probably three times a week I'll tweet him some name that I've read somewhere that's being interviewed and he'll just go off on a Twitter rant and it's delightful, but they there really are not a lot of good options. I am a little I'm a little concerned. There, there's no home runs out there. Let's put it that way. There's no home runs. Okay, so in other sports, there are there's a wave of people thinking differently about shit. I'm not going to use analytics as necessarily the thing because there's lots of ways to think differently. But just right. like here's what if we are trying to maximize our position within whatever. We've got a lot of weird ways to think about it and to do it. Is hockey is there's none of those people exist, or they're all snapped up, or is it still kind oh. of in the stone ages? And there's just like it's just not going to happen. I mean, why aren't there people out there? There's there's only what thirty teams, something like that. Well, the sad part is the Wild had two of the early forerunners in the in the hockey analytics. There were a couple of people who started a site called WarOnIce.com. And the wild a few years did, ago. Did you hired say moronice.com? War on ice. War. Like, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So they had hired the two people behind that. And so they had sort of been out front of this. But Paul Fenton was such a dingbat and so bad at managing people that one of them has left hockey entirely and took a job outside of hockey. And the other one's been hired. <laughs> oh, no. The other one has been hired, left, and was hired by the expansion team in Seattle. So she's gone. They're both gone. And so the Wild, having had an advantage, poorly managed it such that they now are behind. The, the interesting thing about hockey analytics is that right now, I, I feel like we're sort of, uh, sort of standing on the precipice of a, a, a big change in hockey analytics because they're starting to get into player tracking and actually embedding sensors and players and being able to track them. And I think the thing that people are talking about the most with this so far is betting somehow, but um, just to be able to track everybody all the way around the ice and have the sensors discover that their Victor ask is actually moving so slow that the sensors can't get a read on him. And they actually start reading him as a, uh, Zamboni or something else inanimate that can't move very fast. Unbelievable. I, they're they're looking forward to that, and I think <laughs> I think there's a certain I think there's a certain amount of pushback from the players' association right now about not being able to use those things in salary discussions or anything like that, just because it's still so new. But it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and more and more. And there's, it's a little bit like StatCast for baseball where there's now going to be huge, huge, huge mountains of data. And the important thing is going to be figuring out what is important and how to chew through those things and how to make them into something advantageous. So this is, again, this is something that our, our good friend Chicken Fingers was saying on Twitter this week is that he wants sort of a, a wild Manhattan project, uh, whatever you want to call it, where they just start hiring people left and right to try to get out in front of this stuff. And I think that actually is a good idea just because it's the wild west right now. And so there is an opportunity for teams that take it seriously to possibly get some sort of competitive advantage. Now, obviously where the wild are at right now, 
they probably need to worry less about the marginal gains they can get from hiring an analytics staff and worry more about uh, not hiring a GM who drafts the guy that people in his country have never heard of. Just yeah. something like that. Just Start drafting there. somebody normal. Let's get back within some sort of normal parameters. Let's be bad within normal ranges, and then they can go towards let's try to improve. Let's try to do something that might give us one more win a year. Yeah, I wonder if it's uh, just trying to channel my analytics brain. And, John, as you know, I've got a degree from MIT and a second degree from Harvard. Both. Engineering is your jam. Yeah, engineering. And then my other one was in statistics. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that... <laughs> As someone who does work in a somewhat technical field, but also has business degrees, I love talking to marketing majors okay, about so, what they think what they think technical people sound like. Okay, you caught me. I don't have those degrees, but I did get an A at UMD in statistics. So, ooh, pretty yeah. That's a that's a tough get. Actually, my best class. Um, but my sense is there, and I, I'm going to sound potentially really dumb here, and I'm really happy to be wrong, but. Excellent. Um, from what I've heard about hockey, the main predictor and the most important statistic is possession, right? Possession time, of course. That makes perfect sense. But that's got to be really frustrating when there's roughly 900 turnovers every game, right? Like there's no way right. to actually... So you see as a statistician, like that's the key. People who can keep possession is, uh, is incredible and it leads to success. But then it's like even the best guy still, best team, best line, whatever, still does not really keep possession uh, very often. So it ends up becoming like just working on the margins. So it seems to me that, as you said, uh, making sure you draft the best guys in other sports, that's a total crapshoot. In hockey, it might not be. Or salary cap or how, how long you sign guys for. Those all seem like really, really, really important factors. Um, but again... What do I know? I think one of the interesting things about hockey analytics is you look at something like, like you mentioned, puck possession. It was, it was taken as almost a novel realization that in order to score a goal, you almost always have to have the puck. Yeah, you need the puck. Yeah. Yep. And, and so there were a lot of, a lot of smart guys and a lot of analytic minds that said, well, let's track who has the puck most of the time, and that'll probably be a pretty good predictor of who scores the most goals, and that did turn out to be true. Yep. And a lot of people in the hockey community sort of pushed back and were like, wait, 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 wait. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows that what you need to do is get the puck deep and make them, play, make them go 200 feet and all this other received hockey wisdom. And I think... I think the interesting, the interesting dilemma and the interesting tension in hockey analytics is that it's also somewhat true. Like you can have the puck all you want, but if you don't get it within forty feet of the other team's net, you're really not going to score very often. You can have the puck, you can rag the puck around the blue line a lot, and you can have a ton of possession and pass it back and forth. But eventually, you have to get it to the net, and most goals are scored from right in front of the net. 
And so you have to figure out ways to do that as well. And so mm-hmm. get it get it in deep and make them play 200 feet is not a terrible strategy, not an unworkable strategy. And there have been a lot of teams that have made that work. So it's not it's not just as simple as saying, well, what you need to do is hold on to the puck at all costs. Because you being a great hockey mind, um, Dr. Kreese. Yep, Dr. Kreese. And actually, in, given that you actually played the game for many years, mm-hmm. you know that holding on to the puck when you shouldn't be holding on to the puck is a great way to give the puck to the other team and give them an advantage. So I I think there's a certain amount. It's like analytics in every sport. There's a certain amount that I can tell you, and there's a certain amount where it's just informing small changes that you can make to try to make things better. How can you, how can you give up the puck and put it in the best possible spot for you to potentially get it back. Can you do it differently knowing how the defenders are going to play, knowing how the forwards are going to play? Can you do things slightly differently or change, slightly tweak some things so that you're giving up the puck less, not just saying we should never give up the puck at all because that's not a workable strategy. Well, it's interesting to me if you think about um, just playing out a mental scenario of we've got one team that is driven purely on stats and one team, and they're playing a team driven purely on scouts. Um, and I wonder, uh, on average, depending on the sport, how often the team stats would beat team scout. My sense is that the biggest disparity would be in baseball. Team stats would win a lot of the time right. over team scout. Um, and then I think the second most would be basketball. Team stats would win. Football, I think it's just not as there's just so many moving parts and so many people that scouting ends up becoming more important. Where do you think hockey falls on that sort of continuum of? Well, that's an interesting question. I I think it would be just the other side of basketball. They're both pretty random sports, but basketball has more discrete plays and discrete changes in possession and that sort of thing that would make it less random than hockey. You think basketball's that I, random? I feel like the best think, team wins almost all the time. <laughs> I think basketball is more random more random than say baseball. And I I I think I've lost track of what we're talking about here. So like, I guess how important I don't wanna, as as a GM um how important it, like in baseball a GM I think has to be statistically analytically inclined because the eye test does not tell you anything. There's too many discrete things that you can, you know, your, your eye fails you in baseball a lot. I don't think it fails you as much in football. Like you're not going to unearth a bunch of crazy statistics in football. Like some of the stuff that they're like, Hey, you need to be passing more uh, was one thing that I think the eye test probably wouldn't tell you. Uh, but those sort of things that are unearthed don't happen as much in football as they happen in baseball. Baseball, I think it was basically everything. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I I think one of the things about baseball and stats is that there are so many discrete events and it's so stop start yeah. that you can almost you can use statistics to almost perfectly describe what happened. Yeah, the correlation are you so almost, much greater. You almost don't need your eyes, and this the whole history of the baseball box score is based on this. You almost don't need your eyes to tell you what happened. You can just look at a list of numbers and a list of text and see exactly what happened. 
Yep. You almost don't need to watch the game. Whereas in something like football or hockey, it's much more subjective. In order to find out who's the best, you have to depend on a lot of subjective factors. Like, I think this guy looks like he's really flexible through the hips and his first step seems to be really fast. Yep. And you look at like the football and the and the combine, it's just an attempt to measure things that speak to what is valuable on a football field, but are not necessarily in themselves valuable on a football field. You can, they measure 40 times and they measure shuttle runs and they measure bench press and whatever. And all of those things are not perfectly valuable in the, in and of themselves on the football field. Running 40 yards in a straight line is not something that happens all that often unless you're Randy Moss. Bench press is just, it's a proxy for how much you're working out and how good a shape you are. So you, you try to measure those things, but ultimately you have to depend on the eye test to say, I think this guy looks like he's a little faster than everybody else. And so to, not to bring up hockey player tracking again, but that's that I think is why we're on sort of a precipice of all this data coming. Because if you start tracking guys like that, you can stop saying, man, this guy looks like he's got he's got a jump that nobody else has and say, well, this guy, his top speed is 12 percent faster than anybody else on the ice. And he goes from zero to whatever speed in 0.3 seconds faster than anyone else. Ergo, he's going to be more successful because he's both quick and fast. Whereas it's going to remove some of that eye test stuff. Right. So I, I, I mean, again, I, I've lost the thread of the original question versus when we're talking about what a GM has, can make the difference with. But I think baseball someone like a GM or someone like a stats guy can make a bigger difference precisely because the stats themselves are so descriptive of what happened. Yeah. And we have enough stats that you can then extrapolate them to be more predictive. Whereas yes. in other sports, it's a little more guesswork. Correlations between key stats in, in baseball, they're, they're higher correlated with anything that you can probably find in football or hockey. Right. So the, the stats, the stats in baseball are so descriptive of what actually happened whereas the stats in hockey or football whether we're talking about goals or tackles or whatever are so affected by a million different factors that you you can make a case that a lot of them are useless like you can look at a guy tyrone carter when he was when he was uh playing safety for the gophers mm -hmm. he he would lead the team in tackles he'd have like 143 tackles and you could say that tyrone carter is an amazingly amazing tackler and he was but you can also say that the Gophers' defense is awful if their safety is making 140 tackles. <laughs> it's got, yeah, like that's out of 900 chances. Yeah, that's right. That's that's bad. <laughs> maybe your linebackers led the Big Ten in tackles. That's great. But maybe that also means that your defensive linemen all weigh 143 pounds and <laughs> had an offensive lineman sitting on their head every play. Yeah, true. In some ways, it's good that your linebackers made those tackles. In other ways, it's very, very, very bad. Right. So I think the initial thing was you are not feeling good that there's going to be a uh, there, there's a great GM candidate out there. My hope was right. initially asking was that maybe there is some diamond on the rough weirdo math whiz. But I think also talking out was like, that's probably not necessarily going to happen. And then the Fenton is the is the opposite side of that coin. Right. Like he was just a scout and that was right. it. And then according to the owner, who, again, 
two sides to every story, but he basically couldn't do anything else. Right. It's, I think as much as anything you want, you want the wild GM to be open to it because there, there are still plenty of dinosaurs out there in the, in the hockey world that are, are not open to advanced stuff and are not, are not going to participate in any of this newfangled math because they still, the important thing is whether a guy got into 50 fights in the Ontario hockey league, because that shows toughness and it shows want to, and it shows whatever. Right. So is it a, is it a retread hiring league? Is that what's most likely going to happen here? I, I, I think it's a huge retread hiring league because no matter who the GM candidate is, it's like, well, this guy was the GM here. He was the GM here and he's widely respected, blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) the problem is, you look at the last hire, the Wild Bane, where they hired a guy who'd never been a GM, but he'd only been an assistant GM. And you thought, wow, they they really they really sort of bought low on this guy and got this up and comer. Except Paul Fenton had been an assistant GM for like twenty five years, and so <laughs> forty nine years old. At, at, at one point, you had to sort of stop and say to yourself, "How come nobody else hired this guy?" Ah, uh, yes, one of those. I know. I just. Yeah. There's, I just am holding out hope there's some weirdo goofball in like the, the AHL or something who's like, yeah, he's, he decided all he was going to sign were dudes who were 5'8 and under because that was something he noticed. There's value in the marketplace. So this, this team of shrimps went out and just absolutely <laughs> murdered everybody in the AHL. That this would be team like of the skinny fast guy from NES Ice Hockey. From the time, yeah, they just went all little guys. That was his sort of. Right. I'm just holding on hope that some somebody like that exists. But I, I mean, I just, I, I guess I just keep thinking of other sports where those people did exist, right? I mean, there were just like underappreciated math whizzes in baseball, and there was underappreciated dorks in basketball who were launching 53s in a D3 school that all of a sudden are at powerhouses. Like those stories happen in other sports, but. Right, <sighs> might not happen here. <clears throat> I think th- I think the way forward is clear. A guy who's got some, he's got experience with hockey analytics. He's got experience in other sports and analytics. He's an analytical mind. He knows the game. Hans Van Sluten, Hans Van Sluten GM is the answer. Friend of the show, we he all know is. It. He's the only choice. Good with people, right? We can vouch for that. He's a very nice human. If you record a podcast, he might bring 1980s hockey cards for you to open while you do the podcast, and that'll be amazing. And let's not sell him short on that name. That's a very intimid- that's, intimidating name for other teams to be like, they hired him. What? Hans that's a, Van Sluten? That's a, the name of a Norse warrior. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm with you. Yep. Okay, so do you have any predictions? It's going to be a retread, huh? Uh, it's going to be a retread. My only hope is that it's not it's not Ron Hextall because Ron Hextall's in that case, and it's not Peter Chiarelli who used to be the Edmonton GM. And anyone who has ever in any sort of front office role with the Edmonton Oilers should be banned from ever working for another team again. <laughs> like, I assume they have some sort of league approval. Like, all right, this guy never was in prison for inciting for hate crimes or anything like that. You can't hire this guy because he went, you can't hire him as a CFO because he was in prison for 12 years for securities violations. I assume there's somebody in the league office doing this. And the main test 
for anybody who's working in hockey operations or in any sort of front office capacity for an NHL team should be, has this guy worked for the Edmonton Oilers in the past? <laughs> if so, right. banned from the league. Yeah, it's like a felony background check. I'm like, that's, that's right. a hard no. Yep. It's a it's a solid it's a red strike. You can't get by it. There's no get there's no getting around it. The Oilers are a felony. Is what we're the saying. Oilers are a felony. Yep. Okay. Um can you remind me what year the Wild aren't totally screwed from a contract perspective? When does that start? Like 20 <laughs> Well, I thought it was, I thought it was maybe like 3 years from now and then Fenton went out and signed Matt Zuccarello to a 6-year contract and he's 30 years old, so I think okay. the fair thing to assume at this point is that they'll never be out of salary cap jail. Definitively. That's what we're saying. Definitively. Yep. As long as Craig Leopold is the owner and is demanding that they capital D, capital S do something every year, that yep. they're just one guy away from a Stanley Cup, they'll never be out of salary cap jail. And can you remind me on our uh, world famous Olay scale? Where uh, Leopold stands, remember Ole, overmatched, lazy, or evil. Where do, where is he, um, his pie chart? He is, on the Ole chart, he is a solid 100-0-0 on the Ole chart. He <laughs> okay, is so he works hard. not at all lazy. He's, a nice person. He's the opposite of lazy. He's not evil at all. He's completely overmatched. <laughs> and if you want to take issue with that, Mr. and Mrs. Leopold, uh-huh. I point to the fact that you hired a GM and then fired him less than a year later, but after the NHL draft, because he quickly became clear to you that he was such a disaster that you couldn't go one more day with yeah. Paul Fenton as the GM. Overmatched. Ole. Yep. Okay. Uh, do you want to move on? That's That would be great. Okay. I got I have, completely uh... lost in talking about whether... You could track players correctly when you asked me who should be the wild GM. I think that yeah. was, I'm just uh, trying to, I was a listener for most of it. Uh, I yeah. would say, John, that was more interesting than you think it was. <laughs> You're baiting me. You're baiting me into the Marthaler <laughs> trifecta. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, John, uh, you are the sports knower. Um, so I'm wondering if you, the sports knower, can do me a favor as a non-sports knower um, and explain to me your thoughts. And this can be a lightning round if you want it to be. I know you're solo dadding it tonight, um, so we don't have to go too long. But um, I just want to give a shout out to my kids for staying in bed this whole podcast. I thought this was going to be a disaster, but way to go, kids. So far, uninterrupted, 40, 54 minutes. That's incredible. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, I want to know about Go for Football. It's coming up. Uh, pretty soon mm-hmm. here. Uh, mm-hmm. All I know is that our coach is still a total weirdo and that <laughs> yep. we had two quarterbacks. One of them got hurt. Yep. Uh, and we had have... on last on last week's show. Uh, Dave and I talked through a lot of this and the more we talked about it, the more excited I got about go for football to the point that I was trying to decide whether it was better to predict 13 and 1 and they lose in the first round of the college play- football sure. playoff right or 14 and 1 and they lose in the national championship game. I just couldn't decide which one was more realistic. But now they lost Zach Anikstad, one of their quarterback potentials and now I'm starting to wonder. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe 11 and 1 would be a better prediction, Brandon. Okay, so this is not really the full part of the segment, but I do have to ask you uh, Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson is going to be in the NFL. Yes, I think so. Okay, I think so he'll it's play in the NFL. it's not a 
he's a surefire top four round guy, but uh, he'll have a chance to play on Sundays. Is that right? Yep, I think I think he'll play on Sundays someday. To me, as a uh, again a casual fan, I'll tune in when I can and when it's possible and when it works out for my schedule. That to me seems like the number. Uh, I would say Tyler Johnson is the number one most exciting thing. Uh, that I am looking forward to because I know he was really, really good last year. And having a fun college wide receiver is one of the best things. Yep. Obviously, a, a, an amazing quarterback is better, yep. but a wide receiver is pretty close. Go for and, football expert Dave says he thinks we have the best receivers in the Big Ten. So that's exciting. So that's my number one most exciting thing as, again, casual fan. And number two is that, um, and I'm sorry if you guys got to this last week and I just missed the segment, uh, the schedule is really the key, right? Yep. They okay. don't have to they they don't have to they don't have to play a lot of the teams from the Big Ten East that you would not want them to play. <laughs> Although we did we we did mention this last week. Their their non conference schedule looks soft but isn't. You you look at South Dakota State and Fresno State and Georgia Southern and you think that's that's not a big deal, but South Dakota State's one of the top teams in one double A and Fresno State won the Um I was gonna say whack, but I don't think that conference is, exists anymore. Mountain West, I want to say the Mountain West last year, and Sport they have to go says, to Yes, Mountain West. They have to go to Fresno and Georgia Southern is also an amazing team. So again, a small college team, but not a not a pushover. None of these three are pushovers, and so it's a little bit it's a little bit worrying that they could play pretty well and still lose all three of those games to start the season. So we should we should or shouldn't be counting our eggs before they hatch. I never remember what the statement is. <laughs> um, well, counting your eggs before they hatch makes perfect sense because you want to know how many chickens you might potentially have. Counting your the chickens. chickens. <laughs> it's the chickens you don't want to have, Brandon. Okay, so let's count the eggs. Count the eggs. Not, not count the, the chickens. Chickens, because, yeah, okay. Don't count your chickens before. Is that actually what the thing is? Don't count your chickens. Yes, that's yeah. that's the correct cliche. Are you sure? <laughs> God, it's don't count your chickens basket. before they've hatched. Yeah, don't it. count your yeah. chickens before they're in the basket. Yeah. Damn it. Okay, that's better. Okay, good, good. Go for a football lightning round. Um, my last thing, John. Dad life. How how, Dad how are you life. doing here? How are you doing here, buddy? Doing okay? Oh, there is. I have a two-month-old and an almost three-year-old, and you—you you, how far apart are your kids again? They're about three years, right? Yep, almost exactly. A couple of weeks apart. Almost three exactly years. three years. So you once were in the same situation as me, and I—we were doing the podcast back then after you had your after you had your second son. We did the podcast, and you seemed very, very blasé, very chill about it. And I'd like to know how you pulled that off. Not necessarily how you pulled off the parenting thing, but just how you seemed calm about it. Because it's a look that I just can't manage. Alcohol. Alcohol. Well, I'm, I'm drinking right now, so yeah. right there with you. No, I uh, got very lucky with our second one. Um, Danielle was a real champ by doing a lot of the overnight. Like I, I would do the thing where I stayed up and did whatever I needed to do until about midnight. So if he had to eat uh, then or Jones got up or whatever, that would be my thing. And then I would help when I got back up again at like seven. But in between for those first three months while Danielle was on maternity, she kind of took the in-betweens 
times if she needed to. So I was getting, you know, again, like kids get sick, shit happens. There were for sure nights when I had not much sleep, but you know, for most nights of the week, I was getting, you know, seven hours of sleep, six or seven. And that's fine. That'll work. And then I would sneak a nap in on the weekends when I had to. Um, So sleep wise, I think you can do anything with sleep. Um, Sleep wise, everything was good. And that's why I could put on a good face when I was hanging out with friends. But no, man, there were some bad times with uh, just how frustrating it all got. Um, And that's, I mean, you start to realize why your dad and your friend's dads were always just like, grumpy no matter what at mm-hmm. all times even when we were yep. older and like geez i just asked you to do something small and you're fucking freaking out i think that like grumpiness gets so set in during those early phases that a lot of dudes are just like yeah that's me now even though you asked I... me to just like can you please just go change the light bulb in the pantry and right. the da- and dad's just like oh what are you kidding me I have to go, what? I have to get the step stool out and then unscrew and then re-screw? That's what you, you know. Where in the hindsight, when you're looking at it, you're like, yeah, dude, that's like about one minute of, of activity for you. But the grumpiness just gets inside you. And I totally understand that now. I'm not like that, but I get it. Um, <laughs> so the, the thing that drives me nuts, and right now at this particular time in dad life, is... When we had one child, one of the hardest things that we had to work out was how can I try to fit in some kind of free time around this parenting thing? Because the most frustrating thing is, oh, I have to, every night when I come home, it's parenting time. And up until bedtime, it's parenting time. And then anything else has to get done. How can I possibly fit in any sort of time to just mm-hmm. relax and turn my brain off. And then we had our second. And now the question is not that so much. It's how can I possibly find just a little bit of time to do all of the chores that used to be such a terrible thing? How could I possibly, when am I going to find time to take the garbage out? Cause I know. right now it's just like a constant churn of somebody needs this. Somebody needs this. Somebody needs this. Now I'm exhausted. And now it's time for another feeding. And now we're going to do this feeding. And at some point, I have to take out the garbage just sitting in the middle of the kitchen. It's just sitting there. Yeah. And this is a task that, with a certain amount of jump in my step, can be completed in maybe 20 seconds. Yep. And just the idea of finding 20 (laughs) seconds in the evening seems daunting. Oh, my God. It is so draining. And I get to that point, which I'm sure you are, too, where you're just like, screaming at yourself get up get up off the couch come on right just get up just go get up and do that and put that away and then the dishes will take four minutes just you you can it's 1006 right now you'll be done by 1010 you can do this and then i just sit there and stare at dirty dishes and i just like i'm not i can't it's not right it can't happen yeah um it is tough and it's a really hard adjustment too for like the marriage to all of a sudden most of your life is logistics for a little bit Right. Are you picking it's just up here? Are you picking up there? Are we doing this and you're doing that? And what about the weekend? And all of a sudden it's like you're you're balancing cal- you're sending calendar invites to each other for stupid bullshit that you don't even have anything to do with, but she's just reminding right. you, well, hey, this guy's coming to do this with the roof on this time and you gotta make sure you're there or else I'm gonna be there. And yeah, I just like 
I am just trying to convince myself that it gets easier every day and this phase of our lives of logistics is temporary and I don't want that to become I don't want that to be like get so ingrained in me that all of a sudden I just become the grumpy dad. <laughs> that's that's a good attitude to have, Brandon. I'm trying. I, I look forward to someday being able to have a good attitude like you. Yeah. No, I I mean I'm just telling I'm basically giving myself a pep talk while talking to you because I certainly um, right. am not like that a lot of the time. And the like you have to change the light bulb in the pantry was not an example I just made up out of thin air. That's right. legitimately that a thing happened. that actually really bothered me. And I was like, right. And then I caught myself and it's like, what? What is wrong with me? So the the funny thing is where I'm at right now, the two month old, it's things are starting to get better with the two month old. He's sleeping a little bit longer. He's sleeping a little bit better. He's just over the past week or so almost, he started to smile a little bit and go from, oh, he's just his face is making a smile thing to no, he's looking right at me and smiling because I'm smiling at him. And he's starting to interact a little bit. And that's a big step forward. It is good. Yeah. In it, the parenting thing. They become where a human being. You, yeah, where you start to have interactions with them. And so that's amazing. But at the same time, then you have somebody who's almost three. And the, you talk about the terrible twos and the terrible, the twos are terrible. But she is just amazing at her ability to push boundaries at yeah. every minute of the day. Three is just the worst. Because just, just to test you. Just to do something and see, like, hey, am I am I still? Do you still care enough to yell at me until I do this task? It's listen, listen, kid. I I love you very much. You don't need to dump stuff out on the floor just to see if I'll give you a timeout until you pick it up. Can we just agree that I love you and you don't need to test this boundary? It would be better for everybody if I didn't have to give you. 14 timeouts every night for the stupidest things. And you get to that moment. I'm sure you've been here as a dad where you found the tiniest hill in the world. And it's not even something you care about, but you made the mistake of saying not to do something. Uh huh. And now you have to sit there and follow it through and give your child a consequence. If they're not agreeing with you, yep. even though you couldn't care any less, I don't like, I don't care what you're doing, but I foolishly said, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And now I have to continue that forward, possibly even making a rule for the future about this thing that I don't care about at all, that I'm actually would be happy with you doing it. I just in that one moment was tired and didn't want you to do that thing because I didn't want to deal with it. And now here I am acting like a crazy person and giving you a timeout over something that neither of us cares about at all. I screwed myself over because I promised Jones I would take him to Bunny's after dinner if he ate all of his dinner. And then all of a sudden, he like didn't. And I was like, well, I really wanted to go to Bunny's. That's, this sucks. No. I screwed myself over. Right. And then it was like what he wasn't That's eating. Perfect. Then like, Danielle gave him like corn dogs for dinner. And I'm like, well, now I have to sit here and stare at him, make him finish his corn dogs, which he probably doesn't even need, are not even good for him to begin with. And now I can't even take him to Bunny's and maybe you know feed him something normal. Just completely right. screwed myself over and over and over again. Yeah, it's tough, man. You are you're right in, but it's you're also, in the thick of it. I mean, a three-year-old is also genuinely delighted at the smallest things in the world. Tonight at dinner, um, she didn't want to eat what we were having for dinner. And 
my wife said, all right, if you take three bites of that, you can have, and you're going to think I'm making this up, but I'm not. She, she just sort of cast her mind at what will Quinn like? What can I give her sort of as a prize for eating this balanced meal? Mm-hmm. And said, you can have half of a hot dog bun. <laughs> and <laughs> the look on Quinn's face was if I had said to you, Brandon, I sat down and said, all right, I'm not going to explain how I got this, but if you do this extremely small task, I will give you a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you would have gotten the exact same look of happiness and joy and excitement yeah. on your face as my almost three year old daughter did when my if wife you said, get my if you do this, <laughs> you can have half of a hot dog. Bun. And that, that, that is delightful. I'm not going to lie. The, the dad thing is great at those moments. Uh, did she want it to be a cut in half hot half hot dog bun I, or a I, cut lengthwise top or bottom <laughs> part? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know huh. if it had been done wrong, she yeah, would have laid down on the floor and cried. Yep, there's nothing you can do about a three year old, and there's you can't talk sense into them. They have they, they have not developed that part of their brain yet, but they have right. developed a I want to grow my world part of their brain. Yes. I want to know what happens when this ha- when I do this. I want to know what what happens when I do that. I want to see the reaction when I do this. So it's like they've only got the one part of their brain developed, so they're impossible human beings. Yes. If people That's... stopped developing at that, the civilization would have been done many years <laughs> ago. Probably the first it generation. Would not have developed at all. No. We'd, right. We'd still be banging rocks together. So like at age three, they develop the, huh, I'm curious about things. And then age four, they develop the, oh, there are consequences to my actions. They maybe don't get all of it, but they do get some of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that when, I, when Jones asks for an orange popsicle and I give him a red popsicle, he doesn't, like, throw it at me anymore. Right. Because you know, now he's realized, like, oh, right, this red one's fine. Yeah, they taste the same. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. You'll... Ugh. It's temporary. Yep. Yep, we'll get through it. Yeah, I just <laughs> I remember I remember when you had one kid, you talked very positively about parenting. And then you had two kids, and for a number of years, you were very negative about all parenting related. And now you're starting to get positive again, and this makes me feel like there's hope for the future. Yeah, like it's, it's all uh, up. It's all uphill from here. It's gonna it doesn't be get anything but better. Four bad years for fifty good years. That's the right. bet that you're you're making right now, and right. there's no shortcuts to those four. So, <sighs> keep on, Dad keep life, on. Man. Yeah, this is this is truly the support group portion of the podcast. The whole thing is a support group. It, but it does truly. really help, and I think that's like a thing that dads, in particular, and men, guys, whatever. Uh, are starting to slowly but surely realize the power of that. And I think we're trying to get over the I'm weak for not being perfect and I don't want to talk right. about this sort of stuff, whatever. So there That's is right. just the so sportive, much value to like talking shit out. The sportive is our bulwark against toxic manhood. Yes. Yep. Toxic masculinity. Uh, what we're using to fight against that is the sportive. We are. Yep. That's exactly what we're doing. Can you can you guys tell listeners? Nobody's left. We're nope. an hour and ten minutes in. Yep, that's it. Well, do you want to do you want to wrap it up, Jonathan? Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, I uh, can't believe both my kids are still sleeping. 
It's incredible, man. Well, a really good uh, use of your hour of free time. A little, little right. bit of therapy. I it is. I recognize. I recognize listeners. It's a little. It's a little rich for me to complain about having no free time whatsoever <laughs> like while recording in. a sports <laughs> podcast. <laughs> You're welcome to laugh at me for that one. Oh, that's good. Uh, good. All right. Well, we'll I only catch do up. this for the paycheck. Yeah. Exactly. What is that? Is that still in the mail, our, our paycheck? Yeah, I assume at it's some point. caught up at the post office. I read that New York Times article. I assume the sponsors are sending us checks. They're just not getting here for some reason. Mac Weldon, some uh, stamps.com. Got to be a couple right. mattress companies. Lisa Mattress. You guys should yep. all be calling us. I only assume that Stu is stealing this money. Let's hope. Because the yep. alternative is actually worse. <laughs> <laughs> the alternative is sad. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, cool. Well, uh, let's call it a day. Goodbye. All right. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.